You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, Episode 7. You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. So before we get started with the show, if you really like the GTKY concept of connections before content, but you thought to yourself, where do I get those good questions at? And you're thinking, well, I'm still doing virtual teaching versus in-person teaching, and I just want to connect with my kids, but I'm not sure what questions to ask. What we've done for you is created a free resource of 25 GTKY questions that you can immediately download and go back into your virtual setting or your in-person classroom setting to make a difference of getting to know your students before you dive into the content. All you have to do is head over to our website at rclfirst.com, sign up for our newsletter, and you will get immediate access to 25 GTKY questions that you can go back into the classroom and start putting connections before content. So let's get right back into today's episode. Hey, welcome back to the show. On today's episode, I interview a 2020 high school pandemic graduate, Mace Rachel Hinesley. I first met Rachel as we were preparing for our 2019 Student Connection Conference. We were looking for powerful voices from students that had impactful stories surrounding the importance of teachers and students making connections. Once I learned that Rachel once struggled with suicidal thoughts, but credits her act of being alive today to the relationships she'd made with her teachers and administrators, I knew we had the one. We chose her to be a keynote speaker at our conference, and I am choosing her today to be on the show so that you can hear her personal testimony on the power of relationships with educators. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am super excited to have our guest this morning, student Rachel Hinesley. And so welcome to the show, Rachel. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So just like every episode, we always want to uh, emphasize connections before content, just like we do in the classroom. So we always try to do this in what we call the flip five format. I am going to ask Rachel just some GTKY get to know you questions to start off the show, and then she'll flip five back at me. So as we get started, Rachel, are you a binge watcher? Do you binge watch some things? Yes. <laughs> so what, it doesn't even have to be the latest one, but what is the, the the show that you feel like, oh my God, binge watching was like, like so worth it? Well, The Society on Netflix, I've binge watched that whole season, the first season in a day. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. And this can be a simple yes or no answer, but did you watch Tiger King? I started it. Okay. I didn't finish it. That's okay. I love it. All right. So nice, easy, simple question. Just simple. What's your favorite color? This is not an easy question. Um, well, I mean, right now it's blue because my hair is blue. But uh, like on an everyday situation, I would say like like an olive green. Mm, I love it. Well, mine is blue. In fact, in fact, my daughter's hair is almost just like yours right now. Blue and purple, <laughs> blue and purple. So I love it. Awesome. All right. So Rachel, what's your favorite animal? 
an elephant and there's a very specific reason why and it's because they are like the number one mammal besides humans that have like the biggest memory and like the largest memory so they like never forget anything and so it's a like animal in my family that like if you forget like your worth or like how you feel about yourself that they will 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 remind you Mm, love it oh great visual all right Number four, just a simple this. Um, I'm, I'm going to assume as a teenager, music is a big part of your life. So if you could sing a duet or just perform with somebody, who would you want to perform with? Oh, no. Probably like Steve Perry. I could never match his like vocals, but being able to sing a duet with him would be crazy. Oh, love it. All right. And so what is your favorite time of the year? Well, we live in Texas, so <laughs> it's not much seasonal change, but I love the like the in between fall and winter, like between Thanksgiving and Christmas, because everybody starts to get excited. And there's, I feel like everybody's a little bit more joyful around that time of year because it's nice and cool and it's not hot. <laughs> I love it. Oh, and you're right about our seasons. Oh my God. We, we, people don't understand Texas, right? We can, we can experience multiple seasons in like one day. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I got to know you better. So flip five back at me. Okay. What was your favorite high school memory? Favorite high school memory was probably playing in a baseball. Uh, it was one game away from going to the state tournament my senior year, and we were in Eagle Pass. And um, the, the the excitement of just playing in that baseball game all the way down in Eagle Pass. In the uh, in other words, they were they, we were a visitor at their home field. Um, yeah, that was that was some something I'll never forget about high school that that playoff game. What's your favorite food? Ooh, Asian cuisine. Anything Asian. I am all mm-hmm. about Asian. That could be Thai. It could, it could be Chinese, Japanese. I mean, uh, yeah. Yep. Got it. Did you watch Tiger King? Uh, I'm going to admit that I watched every flipping episode, <laughs> in, including including like the follow-up ones that like David Spade did and a couple of, oh, oh. I watched anything surrounded. I was, I was all in. I'll admit it. Um, do you have a like guilty pleasure song? Guilty pleasure song. I don't think so. I don't think I really have that. <laughs> you just listen to music. Just listen to music. Yeah. I, I mean, no, I, I, I know what you're asking, but no, I love music. I was actually a DJ growing up. So when I was 18 in high school, I actually DJed. So back, well, back when it was records and cassettes and all that stuff. And so I learned to appreciate such a variety of different music um yeah i think when people are looking at my playlist you could look anything from christian country to nwa i mean it's all over the place and and people are just like wow uh that's a great question though was there a favorite tv show that you watched growing up oh man there were so many and i don't know i'm just gonna go with the first one that popped into my brain robin williams used to used to have a show called mork and mindy and he where he was like an alien that came. So um, I don't know why uh, I could I could probably list a hundred, but that was the first one that came up to mind. I think that was five. I'm not that sure. was no, it that was. was yeah. Okay, yeah, I love <laughs> it. Wasn't even keeping track. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm using my fingers to keep track. So, okay. all right. So we always love these questions, get to know you questions. We use them on the show to get to know each other. And we encourage teachers to use just GTKY questions in the classroom to get to know your students better. So as we get started today, I think I want to just go down this path, Rachel, and I'm just going to go open-ended. So where I really want to start, Rachel, is we had you speak at our conference last year as kind of a keynote speaker on the student voice about how important relationships were to you as a student. So I think I'm just going to open the door there. I just want to talk to you. I just want people to hear kind of your story to get to know you right here at the beginning. So how, how were relationships so vital to you as a student growing up? Uh, to make the long story very short, I was put in a position of uncertainty and um, uncomfortableness. I moved from town and I moved from Burleson, which is in DFW, and I moved to Duncanville, where I am now. And because of my grandmother's dementia and so because of that huge shift of community i was left stuck and so i had a very hard sixth grade year and then it led to self-harm in the summer and so my parents took me out of that environment because it was so incredibly toxic for me and put me in a new environment and because of that they basically were the ones that saved my life. I had countless times where I would go to them and say, hey, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. I'm tired of feeling the way that I feel. I have cuts on my arms. I'm done. And they were the ones to like pull me back from the edge slowly. They were the ones to contact my parents if they ever had concerns that I never brought up to them. Because they made those deep connections with me, they knew, like, the second I walked into their room, if I was having an off day or not. And so, when did you start to realize, you know, because I didn't meet you till just the last couple of years, right? Yeah. So, when did you start to realize and start to reflect on how vital those relationships that teachers were building with you during that critical time that they may not have even known all the things that were going on in your life. But when did you start to realize the impact of those relationships that they were having on you as you started to grow as into this young adult? It, it, <laughs> it's actually when I did a FaceTime call with Denise last year yeah. for the the training. My grandmother, she was in her very, very late stages of dementia. And like two months later after that, she passed away. So it was, it was getting a lot for me and I just needed to escape. And um, my dad was like, Denise, can Rachel come? Like, is it okay if she would just like tags along? She can stay in the hotel room. Like, you don't have to worry. I'll pay for whatever. And she was like, no worries, let, just let her come to the training. And so we drove to Fort Worth and we got to the hotel room and I FaceTimed her. And then it hit me that what she was talking about was what I had experienced from middle school on. That's literally it. <laughs> wow. So, so a year ago, so, per se, you, you start, the light bulb comes on. You have this conversation with Denise, and then 
is when did we have a, we used the video promo where you showed you going back that then this was your video. So we only use it to promote your speaking, but you recorded a video of you going back and giving gifts to those teachers. Yeah. Will, will you talk a little bit about, so, and just educate me too. I don't know all the pieces connect the dots, but so was it after you talked to Denise, then yeah. the light bulb comes on and then you start to realize some things. Will you take me kind of through that journey? Yeah. So basically we had the conversation with Denise. I went through the training. I'm now a small group facilitator. I'm so I have that under my belt. And then, then it was, I got asked by Denise, I think if I wanted to come to the conference, it wasn't necessarily the keynote yet. It was just, would you like to come? And then it was, do you want to do the promo video? I got introduced to Sarah and Tony and they were amazing. And I was like, I wanted, I always wanted to go back and thank my teachers because regardless of the like relationship aspect, I knew that they had made an impact and I wanted to go back and thank specific, specific teachers. And so this was just like the perfect opportunity to do it. Um, my mom made each of the teachers a picture that has a quote and I cannot remember it. It's a quote that is very important. And it's basically about relationships. And then I wrote them all a card and I read them to them. And my dad remembers. <laughs> it said every or significant learning takes place when there's a significant relationship. That's the quote that was on them. That was on the, the little picture frame that I gave and I gave them and I wrote them all notes. And I went back and gave them to them and recorded the reactions. I read the letters to them and watched everybody cry. I held myself together and didn't cry. But it was just this like progression of like meeting people through NEDRP, realizing that, whoa, relationships really do matter in classroom because I learned better in that way if I have a connection. And then getting film for the promo and then telling them we're going to like film my teachers we can give that to you so that's how that happened so oh thank you for sharing that that puts a little of the pieces of the puzzle to me for me uh so when you look at this and i'm not going to ask you to give a shout out for more than one teacher to the other i just i want you to think of those teachers that you came back and thank collectively for our listeners who are teachers, what were some of the things that those teachers just did during that difficult time that ultimately allowed you to feel empowered to come back and thank them in your own special way? What were some of the things that they did? You said not just shout it out, but I'm going to. My art teacher for middle school, I think he was the one that I think made the biggest impact because I had him, the way that my school district had it set up was it was seventh and eighth grade as the middle school. So I had him both years and um, he wasn't allowed to have me in art two for two years, but he kept me in art two. And he would always check up on me. He would ask me how I was doing. He just would laugh with us. He would make jokes with us. He would come up behind you and scare you while you're in the middle of painting. And he was just make he would just make sure that his classroom was a safe space. I don't really remember how that, that happened, but he just had a, this very warm energy around him and in his classroom and his 
room was crazy painted everywhere and he just really wanted everyone to be sure that they knew that they were in a safe space and I think that goes for all of my teachers they really tried their best to make it as safe of a space as possible by saying you can be open and honest with me if you desire to and it doesn't have to be in front of other people we can go outside in the hallway to talk about whatever you need to but it's it's up to you and i think that option of being able to be vulnerable with people that are supposed to be sort of terrifying and like a dictator for us in middle school because our prides are so high i think that really changed the game for me about like what my view on teachers was it wasn't necessarily somebody who gives us insane amount of homework it was someone who like cares about you and is like your school mom or dad and that's the way that it should be for everybody everybody should feel like they should have that that space to be safe and secure great illustration uh love the visual and the mom and dad reference so you know i think your experience is powerful and at times almost unique because my experience dealing with so many thousands of educators over the years is what you're describing for some of them, Rachel, is is too much for them. There, there are some teachers out there that are scared and or apprehensive about having conversations like that, whatever it is, because they don't know how to handle that. And, and so I'm bringing this up because I want our listeners who are a variety of different educators to go, well, what if that's not me? Mm-hmm. What if I don't know how to do or, or be vulnerable enough or feel secure enough in myself because I'm not a LSSP or an LPC. I'm just a, yeah. a regular old teacher. What would be your advice to those teachers that just feel nervous and are a little bit of apprehensive about being more of that type of teacher that you just described? I think a lot of it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a conversation, a two-way conversation. I think what any middle schooler, any high schooler, any elementary school student wants is just to be heard. Um, They want to know that they are valid in what they feel. And so in, in not necessarily providing them with like resource on resource on resource of like how to fix it, but for them to just be a listening ear and it, and it doesn't have to be something that they take home with them and that holds them down. It can go in one ear out the other and you can just go, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But if you engage in that and you show them that, you're listening to them it will it slowly will develop into something that can become more comfortable if they are not completely comfortable in going like let's sit down and talk about it but all the teachers i've had were just like if that's what you're going through we can talk about it but um there are teachers who are not as available like that and for various reasons which are all completely valid but I think the biggest thing is just learning just how to listen like you really don't need to talk and like this is an example that was me and my dad me and my dad had a terrible relationship when I was in seventh grade we would drive to school it was a 30 minute drive to to and from and we would argue about things and 
and he could tell me um, how to fix something. And I'd be like, no, 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 that's not it. But I would come up to the same conclusion by just talking. Other students just talk it out. They will sometimes come to their own conclusions and fix their own problems. Yeah, I think, oh, I don't know. I can't stereotype. I don't know if that's a man thing, that's a teacher thing. But but we're, we're, we're very guilty of feeling compelled to want to fix things mm-hmm. when, we, when we identify problems. And I will say as an educator, I think when problems arise, our first instinct is, is, okay, how do I fix this? And I can reflect and probably think that how many times I'm very guilty of that in my past. And I'm very, very blessed and thankful that through, through the transformation of relationships and restorative, I have learned, and this was a skill set, I have learned to be a better listener. I have learned through a lot of practice. And so if I could give teachers just one and administrators, any parents, anyone, it takes practice because what I try to tell people is try not to listen with your brain and listen with your heart. And what Mm -hmm. I try to say the difference is when I listen to my brain, I'm listening to reply. I'm listening to affirm, confirm. I'm listening to interject. I'm looking for, I'm I'm thinking about resources. I'm thinking who I'm going to connect or contact and all that things. And it's amazing because as I even sit and listen to you today, and again, we're on video, but notice I just sit back. And what I've practiced is, is if I let it go through my brain, but go all the way down into my heart. So I, I, I call it like a little bit deeper thinking or, you know, sorry, deeper listening mm-hmm. is let it go past the brain and get all the way to the heart and then just really listen from the heart. And sometimes if you listen from there, there is nothing to say other than thanks for sharing that or wow, or I love you or you know, any of those, just an emotional response, which is very genuine and authentic versus Mm -hmm. the logical, let me step through all the steps of 12 steps to fix this. And so I I really appreciated just hearing and affirming that listening sometimes can be more important than speaking. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like, there are definitely times like in my own life with friends, like I think it's a, it's the everybody thing where I want to fix it. But at the same time, I just listen. And what I say, and this is actually something I learned in therapy, you are not somebody's coach, you are somebody's cheerleader. It is not your job to fix everything, but it is your job to be as supportive as you can. And if all you can do is sit and listen and say, I'm here for you, I can listen to you, you're you what you are going through is valid that's all people want that's they don't want their solutions fixed all the time they just want to be heard wow it's amazing you broke down life pretty simple there right and we've said it we said it at the conference it was on our t-shirts right valued seen and heard Mm -hmm. so at the conference and you're there you're getting a chance to speak your story and your voice so Mm -hmm. Just tell me, what was your overall experience spending time at the conference in small breakouts, in, in getting in front of the large group? I mean, what, what were some of the things that you took away as a student at that time, um, engaging and having, I'm hoping, feeling valued, seen, and heard during those times? But what, what was your experiences taking away from the conference? It was 
incredible. Being in the circle room with all all those kids, it was like eye-opening for me because I forget how knowledgeable emotionally and like intellectually like middle schoolers and elementary school kids are like they are incredibly intelligent and the their openness and their vulnerability that there were kids that broke down crying and I think that all has all to do with the teachers that they had because if they're not going to be open in the classroom how are they going to be open in front like in a room with a bunch of strangers it was so like it's I don't it's just it leaves me speechless because of how just fulfilled my heart was to see all of these kids and knowing that they had teachers or adults or whoever that they, they have somebody who cares enough that they want to learn how to be a better teacher or um, a better parent like it it was just crazy it was beautiful and wonderful and amazing and I am so honored that I was able to be there to experience it absolutely we were blessed so what was like did did you have somebody come up and say something to you or thank you or like what's a moment that stood out for you that was almost valid almost validating to the fact that like oh my god I I did make an impact right there were two Mia or it's I think that's how you say her last name she came up to me and gave me the biggest hug and I'm still in contact with her now. And she wrote, I don't, I don't know. She was writing down notes, but she basically wrote me a note saying like Rachel's story is inspiring. And I want to go tell my friends about her story and uh, like share that you can get through whatever you go through. And I was like, whoa that's crazy like it just it was just kind of like wow that that means the world to me more than educators I think seeing other students value my story and validate the things that I went through regardless if they have ever experienced it or not is huge and then there was um after I gave the keynote there was a guy who came up to me because I was bullied in sixth grade, came up to me and he was like, I was the bully once. And I want to tell you that hurt people hurt people. And I'm sorry that you had to experience that. And I just cried. I was like, I don't know what to say to that. I but thank you for being honest and open about that because not a lot of people can own up to their past mistakes. So I think those were the two biggest things. Wow. Well, I, I'm just proud to hear what an impact that you had on other people and so proud that your voice was being heard. I think when we designed the conference this last year, it was so important to have students' voices be a part of it. That's why we really made it the Student Connection Conference as a theme. I I, I can't think of many conferences that I go at where I see 40, 50, 60 kids, right? Filling spaces, mm-hmm. filling hallways, talking to a, adults at a conference and being able to share their voice and their choices and what they believe teachers need to be working on 
as growing because classrooms are so different, Rachel. I mean, I, I believe that, you know, 20 years ago, teaching was so different because students were so different. We were in such a different time. Mm-hmm. And the year the year before the conference that you attended, we had had a senior stand up in front of the impromptu. It wasn't very formal setup like yours. And she had told the group a message that I thought was really profound uh, about some similar things like, hey, it's important to connect with us. Don't forget us. We're human beings, blah, blah, blah. But when she basically, and I use a quote now and I summarize it, and it says, if you don't connect with us, why should we content with you? And the reason she said that is because a lot of the answers and information that you're providing for us as educators is out there at our fingertips as as these modern day students with technology. So what are your thoughts when you hear that? That's the truth. I mean, you can't. You can't expect a student who hates your class to like absorb the content that you're providing. And it's not necessarily because you're doing anything wrong. It's just not what you're doing right. It's the, the action of making it a, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be fun. It could still be educational, but just making it, I care about you. I want this knowledge to get into your brain so that way you have a beautiful future. I think like if there are some educators that can grasp that and take it into their classroom and do simple get to know you questions every single day and share something about themselves, the content will be absorbed better. Because it, it's happened with me. Whenever I got to know my art teacher better, my science teacher better, my English teacher better, I, I was absorbing everything that they were telling me. And everything made sense whenever it came to content. So just like be open and honest with your kids. We as students want to know that you're humans too. Yes, that's, 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 it's spot on. Much like the quote you gave to the teachers, we, we leaned, we lean into James Comer's quote, no significant learning occurs without a significant relationship. And I try to emphasize teachers that with state accountability and testing and all of this pressures of that happening, then we realize that what the, the system one is significant scores, And what I tell them is, is in order to get significant scores, you got to get significant learning. So the only thing part of the equation that sometimes we're missing out on is just that significant relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And and when I, I feel like it's such a simple process, but I've experienced the pressure. When I was a principal, Rachel, I look back and this was before I started doing any of this work. I'm still who I am, but I'm a much different person, particularly as a leader in in my mindset now than I was back in 2009 as a principal. And I will tell you that pressure is real. That pressure Mm -hmm. of like, hey, the state is looking at us. Your, Your community is looking at your scores. Your superintendent is asking you and the people in central office are asking you, how are you going to be successful academically? What's crazy is that pressure is so real, even if you are relationship-centered, all of a sudden you become content over kids. It, oh, yeah. it, 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 and, and 
I'm going to ask you a really honest question. Do you ever, do you ever sense or feel that pressure from us as a student? Oh yeah. I am an empath all the way. So I feel every emotion anybody ever feels in the room, but I also have two educator parents. My mom was um, in a classroom for longer than I've been alive. My dad's been in education for longer than I've been alive. So whenever it comes to like TEA being on people's just hind end about getting scores up, making sure that there are things in line and nobody's no laws are being broken. It's, I feel it. I can sense it. I know the times of the years that it happens. And so I think that also helps with knowing because I've been around it for so long, been around it my whole life, but I can sense the teachers like stress at levels going up about making sure they get the content in or their job could be on the line because they don't have good test scores or the school could be on the line because they don't have good test scores. So like, definitely I can feel the stress within the room. Like it's, it's, it's obvious. Teachers are not good at hiding their emotions sometimes. <laughs> well, what's so interesting is if you look at it, you know, again, we're preaching and teaching about a relationship centered approach. And that's like keeping it grounded, like build your, build your school and your classroom on a rock of relationships and you're going to be good. You get it. I finally got it. But it's interesting is that, and again, whether it's TEA, a superintendent, a district, just the, 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 the powers that be, we don't have what I call relationship reports and accountability for connections. Like they're, you know, superintendent, mm-hmm. well, and again, I'm not putting it down, but like superintendents and executive directors and people that are over schools to make sure that they're meeting the needs of, of the educational ecosystem, they're not coming in and saying, how are you doing with your relationships? Mm-hmm. You know, how, 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 how are relationships doing? I think it's, it's, it's understood as a byproduct that, well, yeah, don't forget to build relationships. I think we're very guilty of talking about it, but not holding each other accountable mm-hmm. to where you at on your relationships. And I just, I, I say this not to defend educators, but just to try to wrap around the idea that there are so many pressured things. And sometimes the first thing to get pushed to the side when anxiety goes up and those pressures are felt is we abandon the relationship approach. Mm-hmm. Do, do, would you kind of agree with that from oh, your yeah. experience as a, as a student? Yeah. I mean, like like teachers are humans too. They're going to resort to flight or fight or flight whenever those stresses are available and real and apparent and how they choose to react to it is how they choose to react to it. And if it's choosing content over relationships for that period of time, it's what they have to do because there's no, there, like you said, there's no accountability for, are you making time for relationships in your classroom? There's nothing f- for that. And it, and it hurts my heart knowing that that isn't a, like a big priority in classrooms. It, it, it breaks my whole soul that, that, that isn't something that is um, required by TEA or be required by school districts across the nation that we are so content, like, like just shove it down your throat, but like not asking 
teachers, are you okay? Asking students, are you okay? Having wellness checks, like these are vital things. And when it comes to like star testing, the amount of stress and anxiety that I have seen in students around me and in teachers is is so crazy. And for me, I'm really not trying to like like hit TEA on the head, but state testing does nothing. It does nothing but bring the stress up of teachers and students, which then pushes all relationship importance to the side. So it's just, it's a fight that I feel like, I feel like educators are trying their best to make time for relationships. But whenever we have things like state testing, it's hard to do that. It's hard to remain the fun teacher whenever you have to give the content as much as you can so that people are prepared for a test. That's well said. And I think your heart breaks and my heart breaks. And that's why later in life here, I've that passion has, my why has been recaptured in that passion to bring the emphasis and really question education. I'm questioning education, not a, a certain entity or mm-hmm. acronym. I'm questioning education. We say relationships are important. We say that. We'll say it out loud. Uh, ask a hundred administrators or a hundred educators in a row how important are relationships. They're going to say it's the most important thing. They'll say it out loud. We'll acknowledge it. And then when it comes to the practical reality of, okay, now how are you doing that? How are you bringing that as a foundation? Then that's when we waver. And, and I'm not blaming the educators. I'm saying the system is has a fallacy that allows the relationships to slip through the cracks. And then we're focused on what I call lesson-based curriculums and all these other things that they like to assume will we'll build relationships while we'll do it while we're doing these other lessons. And mm-hmm. I, and for me, I'm calling that blending relationships versus building relationships. And to me, they they both have power, but if we talk about the power of building a relationship first versus blending a relationship while you're doing another subject matter or you're talking about something else, I think those are almost those are two types of relationships. Does that make sense to you? Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like when we blend the the curriculum and relationship building, it the priority of the two gets really really altered. And so as you're trying to make relationships with your students, they're trying to obtain content, but sometimes that content can't be absorbed properly because they're trying to build a relationship with their teachers and vice versa. So I think not necessarily just like scheduling time to just get to know your students like for 30 minutes of the day, but just really taking a small amount of time to like ask how their day is like on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best one being the worst. Where are you like doing things like that and then getting into content and addressing whatever needs to be addressed after class or after lunch or during lunch, something like that. I think that is a better way to handle it than just going let me blend it let me just put it in all in a blender and serve it to you well and you're right Uh, that's my philosophy and my approach now but i think 
we've convinced ourselves, and this is just how the brain works. We've convinced ourselves that when we're blending relationships, it's a two for one, right? It's a, it's a better deal. What we're not, what, what we're not getting at times is what you just described, Rachel, is the fact that it's difficult in certain certain facets for us to be able to get, gather the content and the knowledge the way that you need us to do while we're in, and simultaneously build relationships. So it's like you get a little bit of each. And I think mm-hmm. that sometimes what we're afraid to acknowledge, it's I'd rather get all the relationship and all the content versus half and half mm-hmm. because then it's, it's, it, neither one gets fulfilled the way that we need it to be fulfilled. But I just think it's interesting that if, if as an education system, if we could push to bring relationships and like you said, the, our safety, trust, belonging, a lot of these characteristics. And if we could just find a way to make sure that those are the ones that are setting a foundation in my classroom, then I think when you make sure all of those are checks and balances, then when you lay the content on that, and not only is it going to be received in a much better and in a much more capacity, the students are willing and able and understanding. And, and that's knowing that they could just go open up a phone or a laptop and look up half the answers anyways, right? You can solve any math problem, any problem out there. You can, as far as look for solutions or look up things that happened in history or science and, and those things. And, and you can discover that on your own. I, I'm excited and nervous for education for the fact that we, I don't think we've still found that balance. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. We we definitely haven't. I mean, I graduated miraculously. And the way that education, I like, I've kind of, I noticed it going through it. Like things change. And I was in many, many different schools throughout high school and middle school and elementary. So like I've seen how different schools work and I've seen what doesn't and what does work. And it's, it's just like the whole education system is so like, like, I don't want to say it's corrupt, but it's not good. (laughs) Like it just, there needs to be like I said, like there needs to be this priority of making sure that there are checks and balances where they need to be, that there are wellness checks, that there are for not only students, but for teachers too. Like teachers, they need a break. Like we put so much pressure on teachers to get things done, but they do get them done. They just, they need some, some time and some space and some like breathing room to get it done, but they can't. All right, so I'm 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 gonna go kind of off script. I'm saying, listen, your mom and dad are educators, so you're yeah. you get a different point of view. So, what what is a memory of either your mom or dad that you you're you're not like if if you're not a child of an educator, what, oh, give us some no. insight. And, and again, okay. I don't I, I'm not throwing them throw them under the bus. No, I, I'm just saying. But like, what is it like to be in a household? Where not only you are you you're getting the student point of view today, but you're going to give us that ed, that inside to the educators' view. What's going on in an educator's world at home? A lot. I mean, right now with it being a pandemic, my dad is an autism coordinator for Alvarado ISD, um, and so he's trying to figure out if they're doing remote learning or 
in brick and mortar and he's trying to figure out how he's supposed to do all of that and one my mom is a reading interventionist um, at UME Duncanville and she is not as stressed but is more just concerned on how the the U.S. is handling the pandemic and education um there's a lot of there's a lot of uh not drama but just just i just hear some interesting things that i'm not allowed to repeat so so let's go pre-pandemic just in the last you know last five years like growing up as as a yeah i'm just thinking it doesn't even have to do with the pandemic just like as a as a growing up in an educator household you get to see what educators go through when they leave the school so I'll, i'll be specific here do you I don't think, and this is some students do not get this, that when educators go home, that they don't leave, they, they can't like turn it off, right? Because there are many nights where I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I'm like, God, what about Rachel? You know, or like this student mm-hmm. or this situation. Do you, can you attest and, and can you affirm that your parents can't leave school at school and I'm not talking about the paperwork. I'm talking about the the life of being a teacher. Does it come? Does it follow him home? Yeah, my dad's job is primarily on his phone, so it follows him wherever he goes. But my mom is given really, really um, hard situations with students who English is not their first language, so they're in fourth grade but are on a second grade reading level, and so she's like. I want them to do better, but I like, I, she speaks Portuguese. I don't know Portuguese. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but they make it work. Educators are magicians. I, I swear by that because the way they handle it without absolutely sending themselves into an insane asylum is crazy to me. It's a lot. And and to be in a classroom, I think my mom was so glad that she got out of a classroom when she did. She had just, she was at school till like 9 p.m. every day, just trying to make sure things were in line. And she worried about her kids. and, And then it was hard for me as the child of the educators, because I'm like, are my parents, are they separating time for me or am I being seen by them is my or my two brothers being seen by them I don't know because all I hear is about the education system that they're working in but then we had a conversation and I went through what I went through and our relationship is so much better and communication is so open but like there were many nights I didn't know if my mom was going to come home from school because she was stuck up there and there were many nights where my dad is sitting on the phone texting parents and with questions and getting calls and it it follows them wherever they go no matter where they go i don't think people truly understand when i say i spend more time with your children than my own children i see you shaking your head yeah yep Yep. There were many times even growing up, like being really little. And I lived in Odessa, Texas, which is in West Texas. And my mom was a first grade teacher there. And I remember her grading papers and being like, can you play Barbies with me? And she was like, 
I can't, I have to get this done. So there's a lot of lost time that we're making up now that was due because she was grading papers and she was worrying about her kids and I would never angry about it, but it was just like, this, this is my mom, but you're getting more of my mom than I am. Well said, well said. Well, I, I just thought this was not only, I just realized like, this is a unique position. Not only do you have the student's voice, but you have the student voice of, you have the, the voice of a child of educators and having not just one, but two. So I thought that would be a great opportunity to just share what it's like to, to be in that household. So, all right, so let's segue. We, I, I asked you for permission if I could talk to you about this. I wanna to talk to you a little bit about being a senior in the most craziest school year ever, the pandemic 2020 graduate. So um, I know in my heart breaks for you and every other single student that had to abruptly, and and I don't think when it first happened, I don't think we all thought like we weren't going back. Would you agree? At first, I don't think this was just a temporary stop, pause. Oh, I thought it was like two weeks and we're back. Yeah. So then, right. So once you, once, once it starts to settle in and it gets pushed and pushed and pushed, and then you realize, okay, so I'm going to leave it open-ended, but I mean, the things that I know you, that you were impacted was obviously the curriculum, like you were forced, forced to finish online in some form or fashion you weren't able to interact with the friends. You weren't able to have your senior moments like prom and other things, right? So I'm going to leave it up to you, but I I really believe that one of the things that our listeners, no matter what you are, is I want you to hear from a 2020 graduate how this pandemic impacted your senior year. So, I mean, we went on on spring break and then we never went back it was this continual like every week was like well well, maybe we're going back next week or to the next week but then I would never receive emails saying that we were and it was this very confusing and frustrating thing I'm like why why of all like years why does it have to be this year why does it have to be the year that I'm supposed to become an an adult after I graduate why can't I not have the senior things why can't I go to prom why can't I do like just senior things like why am I not allowed to have that and then there was the uncertainty of not having a graduation and what that was going to look like um but The curriculum was insanely easy, and I think it was because teachers had never experienced anything like this before. So it was all just do what you can, and if you submit something, you're good. Like, we're just don't worry about it. And I was in theater, and we had a show that we were planning on um, performing in April, I think, and that we couldn't figure out if that was going to ever happen. And so finally my director was like, I'm so sorry to tell you, but we can't. So instead we're going to do a virtual play. And so we did a virtual play and it was really fun. And we had like a live stream going and 
like our principal watched, our superintendent watched, parents watched. It was, it wasn't what I wanted, but it was something that was given and I'm grateful for it. It was insanely fun to do. All of the monologues that um, everybody did was being stranded on a cruise during a pandemic. And so it was just very fitting. But then it got really, really rough on me about just like, what am I supposed to do? What am I, the world isn't ready for adults. It's not, it's not ready for anybody, but especially not ready for people who graduated high school. And then we finished and I just kind of broke down. I was like, that was it. That was my senior year. And so finally we got an email that was like, we're having graduation. We're having it on the day that we plan to have it. It's not going to be in a closed venue, but we're having graduation. I was like, well, at least I have something to look forward to. It's not that bad. And then we had graduation. And before that, we, I had my hair purple and I dyed it because of quarantine and I didn't have to go back to school. And I emailed my principal and was like, hey, I'm half purple hair. Am I allowed to have it for graduation? And she was like, I don't know. However, I do love the color. And I was like, I'm two weeks away from graduation and you mean to tell me you don't know? I need to figure out what I'm going to do with my hair. And so we had like a senior celebration night under the stars where everybody won a cup with like the seniors in the friends font where the one with where they were quarantined. We all got a cup and watched Ant-Man and it was cold, but I saw my principal and I was like, do I get to keep it? And she's like, you get to keep it. So I got to have purple hair for graduation. That was the best part. And then I graduated and it got really, really hard. It got emotional. It was like my senior year was swept right from out from under my feet. And I had no nothing to grab onto to hold myself up. I went down a really big downward spiral of like, what am I going to do next? And it wasn't, you graduate and then you go on your senior trip for your summer vacation and then you go to college. I was trying to like press all of like going into college into like a couple of weeks. It's like, I gotta get it done. I gotta have something figured out because I hate uncertain. I hate uncertainty with a passion. I have college classes set up now, but um, just the the fear of like, am I supposed to be here? It's terrifying. I was born a week after 9-11 and then I had a, like my mental health and physical health all had roller coasters throughout my education. And so for this to be the like last year, I was like, Lord, take me now. I'm not doing this anymore this is this is exhausting but what got me through it was um Brene Brown did a speech for um UT Austin's she did the commencement speech and she just talked about her experience through college about how she had to fall pick herself back up and start over 
and like do that again and again and again. And I was like, wow, that's my life. And so that really, really inspired me to just like be okay with where I'm at. Like it's not perfect. It is far from perfect, but it it is what I can do in the moment and I will take it. So it was hard, but I would not be as empathetic and as funny and <laughs> as close with my parents if I didn't have it. And I think that's what I value the most is the fact that I got to see my parents every day because they were educators, so they're not at school. So they're with me. They see me. They get to talk to me. I get to laugh with them. They get to see me before I really become an independent adult. So I think it was a blessing and a curse at the same time. But for every student, it's probably going to be a different story. Absolutely. No, I, 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 my heart broke because of the fact that there was just so hard for any of us to try to even put our feet in your shoes. I mean, yeah. there's, there's no way. I mean, it was hard to send you a message and be like, I know what you're going through. No, I don't. Yeah. No, no. Um, I think the best thing that we could do during that time was one, just to listen, as you pointed out earlier. And then two, we, we tried, you know, we made that based on like your voice and a couple others, we made that senior page mm-hmm. where we started doing senior circles and started bringing senior students' voices together so that they could just feel heard and, and, and realize that you're not on an island as a 2020 graduate feeling like I'm the only one that's going through this. So I know you were able to participate in one of the online circles and that community and those types of things. So what was the experience to be able to finally maybe talk to others, even if it was virtually and lead them through conversations? What was that like for you? It was, it was really, I don't even know what word to use. It was, it was very reassuring there was a lot of validation in it. Um, like I knew that other seniors were feeling the way that I, that I was feeling, but to have them actually vocalize those things and know that they were heard as much as I was heard, it was just very powerful. Um, because a lot of things on social media about 2020 graduates, they, it was all just kind of like suck it up, like you're it's high school, and then there were other people that were trying to be as empathetic as they could. And they were sharing their senior pictures from the eighties. And I was like, that does absolutely nothing for us. Like there are a lot of people that couldn't have their senior pictures taken because they're at high risk and they don't want to risk themselves going out and getting sick. Um, I luckily enough was able to have senior pictures done, but it was just like, no one knew how to approach us without it feeling a little bit condescending, just a little bit, unless you were another senior. So oh, that's that's well said. Um, I think I think that brings in probably one of the most important aspects that I have ever learned through this restorative work is whenever you see someone else struggling, it doesn't matter how or why, you should always ask them what they need. 
And mm-hmm. I think, unfortunately, we're very guilty as, as a human race of assuming. And I'll give you a prime example, just a small little segue. When someone is typically, and this has nothing to do with you or, or the pandemic or the seniors, I'm talking about like when you see somebody visibly upset and they may be weeping or upset, crying, or just see them, our first instinct is to want to hug them or to console them or whatever. But I think that our first instinct should really be saying, hey, what do you need? Because Mm -hmm. some people need space. Some people need distance. Some people need to be heard. Everybody needs something different. And I completely see both points of views. So for example, the people that decided, and and again, whoever knows how to make these uh, social media decisions, let's all start posting our senior pictures to make them feel better, right? Intentions were great. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, they came, it came from a point of their heart of wanting to say, hey, is there something we could do? But they didn't ask. They didn't say, yeah. is there something? They just said, let's do this. This will make mm-hmm. our seniors feel better. Not really understanding your point of view because we're not asking. And so one of the things that I believe that what we were trying to do with our senior page during that time virtually was just asking a platform or opening a platform for just asking seniors, what do you need? Mm -hmm. And what you just reaffirmed is even in the middle of the worst senior year ever, in in your opinion, is that people want to know that we're all cut from the same cloth, that and I believe that when you do that under any circumstances, dealing with regular classroom conversations, getting to know you, because I can go to, I've gone to elementaries where they use just GTKY formats, getting to know you, and they start every school this way. If I go in and ask these little fourth graders, um, what is the one thing that you love about getting to know, you know, using these GTKY practical two-minute connections, 60-second relate breaks, the things that we teach and preach? What do you love about this? And 90% of them almost say the same words of like, I just love getting to know my other students and love to know that they like the same things I like or that they don't like the same things I like, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think even in the middle of this pandemic, what we try to provide is just a platform for students to hear each other because sometimes hearing I'm not the only one or I, I know that others are going through it, but I don't know how they're going through it. So when you get, you know, uh, eight, eight or 10 students all of a sudden sharing their emotions and what they're struggling with, I'm, I'm going to make the assumption that it makes you at least feel valued, seen, and heard. Am I, am I on the right track with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, this is sort of on the same track, kind of not. Um, I tried to commit suicide uh, January 2019, um, and so I was sent into a SPARK program um, where it was group therapy in patient outpatient in group therapy with other teens and so there were teens that were six weeks in it was a six-week program so they it was their last week or their fourth week or their first week um and you saw their growth but you also saw them being heard and so not necessarily that they were going through the same thing as you but that they were in the same sort of position of 
receiving the help and um we felt out this thermometer and it was a scale of one to ten and so you would put like the what you feel for like one like where do you feel it do you feel it in your chest do you feel it in your arms your hands your feet where do you feel it what are some things that you do so if it was a positive thing you would say like interact with people go outside something like that or if it was something negative it was be completely isolated but the last part was so important important because it was what do you need what support do you need and so you would list it off Um, and this was just for my family and I would love that if teachers would implement this it doesn't have to be as intense or as invasive but like for emotions what do you need if you're at a specific number where you are at a high risk and you say what do you need and you say I just need to go step outside. I need to go take a breather. I need to just be away from people. I think that is so powerful because other students can see that they're not the only ones. And I think it's so important for people as a whole to understand that we are not alone in how we feel. Like, especially during this pandemic, it's important to know that we aren't alone. Well said. Well, I would tell you, I am blessed and thankful for you to spend today with us on this episode and sharing the student's voice. And so as we start to wrap this up, I just want you to think about what would be your message to teachers and educators and administrators out there? What would you want to take away from today's conversation from the student point of view? Um to just be aware of what's going on in your schools if you're a superintendent if you're a teacher if you're a student i think it's really valuable to understand that your your students are your most important puzzle pieces in education so listen to them you don't always have to have the answer but also Make sure that you are okay. If you're not okay, your students won't be okay. It's a it's the give and take. So I think that's the biggest thing is just just be as open and honest and vulnerable as you can with your students so that way they can be open and honest and vulnerable with you. Well said. I'm gonna encourage our listeners to actually be a listener that what we've been kind of pulling as a thread throughout today's episode is I urge you and challenge you to try to do exactly what I was talking about earlier and listening more from our heart and less from our brain, Um, learning not to, to do pauses before you're speaking and realizing that you don't have to fill that air with a lot of space and you don't have to have a lot of answers I, I, I take away from today's episode the affirmation that listening sometimes can be way more powerful than speaking. And as validations of feeling valued, seen, and heard, it's interesting sometimes that that feeling heard can also make you feel valued and can make and also make you feel seen. And so don't as educators continue to say, I got I to gotta do this, this, and this to make them feel valued, seen, and heard. I think sometimes just listening and 
giving the opportunities that if you do find a student that is struggling in any form or fashion, following it up with what Rachel just said is just a simple, simple question. What do you need? And if you'll listen from that point of view and you'll literally take it to heart, you'll the, the, the answer is right in front of you. The student is telling you what they need. And if you can follow through with, I need space, I need time, I need more time for someone to listen to me, whatever it is, then you will start to see the insights that we start to see as educators who understand that putting relationships at the center of all learning gives us the best voice and the best choice to help students feel valued, seen, and heard in every single classroom. Rachel, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for a couple of reasons. One, your vulnerability. Um, your, your vulnerability and rawness is what we need more of. The fact that you share something so personal that you struggle with taking your own life. The fact that you shared with struggles that your emotions can be over the place. The fact that you shared the insight that even though you have two amazing parents, that at times our relationships aren't where they need to be. I have loved and appreciated you since the day I met you in person. And I and I I I learned more to appreciate what you brought to the table with your voice once I saw you in person. I know virtual is important, but I will tell you when you were when I was able to see you in person and hear from you and feel the emotions and and realness and an authenticity of who you are as a person, and that you may not be okay at different times, but you're gonna be okay. And that the fact that hearing voices, hearing your voice and hearing other voices that are like yours and just affirming, confirming that relationships have been a pivotal part of not only you just being a successful student, but keeping you alive. Like that message, if our listeners can't infer anything else from today, like your message is I'm here alive today because of the relationships that have been put as a priority in my life. And so I thank you for standing up and having a voice in that matter. I thank you for going through the most difficult senior year that we'll probably ever go through and you made it. Despite the ups and downs, I thank you for making it and standing there and continuing new to be who you need to be. And I want to thank you for your time this morning. I know your time is valuable. And I just want to thank you, uh, just thank you as a person who cares about educators and who cares about kids. And as you said, your heart breaks that we don't find a way to put more relationships into the classroom. And I can't thank you for that enough. I mean, if... If anything, like you said, is for listeners to like really take what I say to heart and say like you could potentially save somebody's life. That is the biggest thing to me. I want to go into the mental health field. I want to be a therapist. So if I could have one child come into my office as a patient and say, well, my teacher emailed my parents and they stopped me from self-harming, then like. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> oh, I will echo that. Echo that. We always say we don't care if we make a difference with just one teacher or one student. It it starts small, right? So then we always say we leave every show with the same thoughts and prayers. If hopefully our listeners found one tool, one strategy, one idea to go back into one classroom or one building to make a difference for one student or for one teacher, then today our time was worth it. I hope that you keep relationships first in your life and we'll connect with you next time. Lastly, I want to thank you 
the listener, the educator, the difference maker. Your time is valuable. I see time as an investment. And I want to thank you from the center of my heart for making it to the end of this episode. But please don't let this be the end of our relationship. If you have the same passion for putting relationships and connections at the center of all learning, then I need you to subscribe and share this podcast with other like-minded educators. It would be extremely helpful if you would leave a review or a comment on what you loved about the episode, or better yet, tell me what you want to hear about more in the future. This way, other educators that are searching for impactful podcasts can get a sense of what this show can offer them. You see, my hopes and prayers are that you were able to find one strategy or one idea that you could take back to one classroom to make a difference for one kid. Thanks for keeping relationships first, and we'll connect with you next time.